Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 155, the third anniversary edition of the More Than Just Code podcast. I'm Tim Mitra and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined as usual by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And I also have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. And of course we have Tammy Coron in Tennessee. Hey there. <laughs> we also have Greg Heo down in San Francisco, California. Greetings, everyone. All righty. Okay. So let's lead off with Greg. Greg, you have something for the follow-up? Um, some quick, three quick follow-up items, so we'll go through them quickly. Uh, last week, we were talking about Apple manufacturing in the United States. There's also a little bit of Foxconn announcing stuff in the U.S., so a couple of things on there. So there's two articles in the notes. One is something from uh, Yahoo Finance talking about um, the article's titled, The Real Reason Overseas Manufacturing is Coming to America. So last week, we talked about how costs in manufacturing, whether it's labor, is it parts, is it shipping, what is it? And so the maybe important point in this article is that it's becoming more expensive to manufacture goods in China. So wages have grown about 10 to 15% every year, while in the, the increase in the U.S. is about 2.5%. So there's that. Uh, electricity prices are lower in the U.S., 30 to 50% lower than in other major export nations. Wow. So there's a whole bunch of stuff in this article about how the, um, sort of what the differences are, and then maybe the bottom line thing is the is that China's manufacturing cost advantage used to be 14%, maybe over 10 years ago, and now it's only 1%. So the overall bottom line cost savings has shrunk a lot. So if you want all the details, you can read the rest of this article, which has more details and more numbers and things like that. That's the first thing. Uh, the second one was about the, there was the Apple earnings call, and then somebody had asked Tim Cook about the alleged plans to build more, um, do more manufacturing in the United States, and he kind of dodged the question and didn't really answer it and said something like, you know, we're always looking to make things, I can't do a Georgia accent, but he said, you know, we're always looking for improvements <laughs> and ways to be gain efficiencies 
he's blah blah blah. So he didn't really say anything, but he just said some nice things about you know we're an American company. Apple could only have been made in America, and we're very committed to American jobs, and we already have so many American jobs. Blah blah blah. So there's just um, so I have a Mac Rumors article here with a summary about what uh, he said, and I think there's another article somewhere. Uh, we don't have it. In, I don't have it in the doc here, but sort of a transcript of what they said during the call. If you're interested in that, uh, so that's those two things. Yeah. Yeah, I think I caught that they had added a lot more jobs. Um, I think it was a big, huge number quoted there mm. as being what they have, have added to the mix here in the last few years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the final follow-up thing that I have here is following up last week when I was talking about Microsoft and their revenue split between productivity, uh, Windows, uh, and other related businesses, <laughs> and cloud stuff, if that's how they you, they kind of categorize things. And um, I think I had made some comments about, oh, iPod, or sorry, iPhone, uh, protein slip, iPhone sales are like 90% or 80% of Apple's revenue or something like that. So thanks to the third quarter call, uh, there I have an article from Mac Rumors here in the show notes, uh, and they've kind of made nice graphs and pie charts about where Apple's revenue came from for third quarter, um, fiscal year 2017, third quarter, and it's closer to 55% of um, the revenue is coming from iPhone. And then the next chunk is surprisingly to me, services, and then Mac, and then iPad, right, yep. and then other. So again, if you want the details here, and sorry, this is the article that has a transcript of the call if you want to read what Tim Cook right. and the uh, the CFO said about it during the call. And you can read the whole dodge about uh, <laughs> manufacturing in the US and things like that. And how Tim said, we do not comment about future unannounced products or something like that. Yeah, It's interesting, this pie chart, because I, I don't know that we've ever really sort of split out the iPad sales from iPhone before. Have we had that much clarity before? Like, this is interesting, though, because, you know, we always kind of thought that it was around 60% of the business was was iOS in general, right? Mm. But, um, you know, with that extra and and seeing that the iPad sales and the i and the Mac sales are sort of you know in equal like eleven and twelve percent, right? Yeah, That's yeah. I mean, the number. average cost for whatever average selling price for a Mac is higher, so it's like the fact that they're equal means like course, iPad yeah. obviously sells more volume, but yeah, in terms of revenue, it seems like they're they're about the same. Also, if you look at the sort of time based chart that they have here, there's like giant spikes for iPhone. Like the other ones are relatively flat throughout the quarters, like Mac sales. Maybe there's a little bit of a spike. Um, and same for iPad, but iPhone is the very, very obvious like giant spike that is sort of seasonal over the um, whatever the quarter is that covers Christmas, you know, the October, November, December kind of quarter. Uh, there's a massive spike for iPhone, but not a massive spike for the other products right, as well. So right. this happens to be the third quarter, which I think is sort of beginning of year, kind of, you know, February, March, April kind of a quarter. And so that's why I think iPhone is only 55% as opposed to, I don't know, maybe it is 80, 90% in other quarters. So we can find more pie charts when uh, when that quarter comes around. I like the uh, chart in millions there. It shows where they were, what, in 09 all the way up to 17, right? Mm-hmm. 2017? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the iPad sales being up for the first time in a long time is good. Um, it, it seems like that sort of right mix of bifurcating that market into you're either getting a very, you know, for an Apple product, a very low price entry level iPad, the ones that sell really well to you know the education market, or you're getting the premium priced iPad Pros. It seems like that's kind of a, a nice mix for them. Like if you're even in the market for an iPad, mm-hmm. you end up picking one of these two instead of uh, right, along the yeah. gradient of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just as part of the transcript on this topic of iPad, um, I think Tim Cook had mentioned that iPad sales were up 15%, 15% year over year. And in education particularly, it was 32% year over year. So the whole, mm. I think you guys have talked about this before, like Chromebooks and education. What's the education computer? Is it the MacBook Air? What is it? But it seems like the growth is pretty good. iPad sales have turned around, but the um, it 
it's a faster rate of growth in education specifically, which is kind of nice to see. And he gave a nice pitch to Swift Playgrounds and, um, you know, the um, Hour of Code and that kind of thing later on. So yeah, more iPads. I mean, I bought one. So my, I'm a statistic as part of that 15%, I guess, with my 10.5. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and if you look at the cost of a, you know, when you, when you outfit an iPad Pro, like a 12.9 inch iPad, you're paying as much or even more money than you would a low end um, MacBook Air, right? So uh, it's kind of an interesting place where that sort of iPad Pro fits in there, right? You know, because I, you know, in my case, I, I know I think I was around $2,000 by the time I had, you know, the case and the pencil and Apple Care and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus tax. Yeah. And then the Apple Watch was the other thing that was up, uh, according to them, with their non scaled number of 50, up 50%. And sort of anecdotally, which is, of course, the best and most reliable source of data, um, <laughs> I've, I've kind of noticed that there, there are more Apple Watches out there in the wild. And it's not just like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, I'm hanging around developers and stuff. Like these are just average, everyday, normal people who don't necessarily geek out and love this sort of thing the way that we do. And I wonder, you know, if we were ever able to get an insight into what that average sailing uh, sailing price would be, it'd give us an idea of where it falls in that mix. But I'm thinking that sort of one-two punch of the Series 1, Series 2 sort of thing and the price drops that were related to the Series 1, like I think that might be the one that really made it like that watershed moment where people would be like, yeah, uh, I can invest in this. This is a low enough entry-level price for me to see what it's all about. Yeah. It's interesting too. I was reading something about the iPod, the AirPods too. That's another interesting thing. Like when you mentioned seeing more and more of them, I'm seeing more and more of them in Toronto, especially in the financial district where I work. And, you know, it's something that I, you know, would look hard, it would be hard pressed to see one, but I'm seeing them more and more. And I think that there was, uh, I think the Siri integration and, uh, you know, ability to like, you just tap it and talk to Siri kind of thing. I guess that's uh, something people are really um, excited about using who have them and uh, read that Apple was um, ramping up the production on those because there still is delays getting them. So what are you guys seeing in, in your ne- necks of the woods? Are you seeing lots of, uh, I know when I was in, in San Francisco in February, there were tons of uh, people walking around with earbuds or Airpo- earbuds? What are they called? AirPods. AirPods. No, AirBud, AirBud is the dog. <laughs> As I'm fond of pointing out, the AirPods, uh, uh, the AirPods are, considering that there's a manufacturing constraint, they're like wildly popular. I see way more than I would expect considering that they're not a cheap product. They're, you know, it's a, it's a premium product. And yet I still see those little, like, I don't know, they look like miniature tusks coming out of people's ears. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting to me. Yeah. I think just, just on that sort of point there, I find it interesting that, I mean, do people not look in the mirror when they try them on? Because if you if they hang down straight like they do in you know in the commercials and the models have them on you know the Apple famous Apple people on the stage or whatever they look okay. But I, I can't tell you the number of times I've seen people walking down the street where they're kind of hanging out at almost a forty five degree angle. Have you not seen that? I have. Nobody else. And and I think it kind of depends. Like a reason, a big reason that I did not purchase them is they're just not going to fit my ear. And I wonder for those people, it doesn't quite fit their ear the way they'd like it to. But they found a way by angling in a certain way. Oh, maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was the way their their ear canal is, is designed. So, do you have trouble with uh, the traditional ear ear what are they, earbuds? Earbuds, right? The earbud ear headsets. Are you? I know so Mark can't the, wear them, but yeah, AirPods, the, the maybe, ear right? pods. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the ear pods. I can wear them, but for a limited amount of time, they're not going to um, stay in there properly. They're not going to. Um, they're not going to be comfortable for my the shape of my ear. No matter how I've tried to arrange them and, and try to see if there's a way to get them in there, it, it's my you know the construction of my ear is not meant for that design. So it's kind of a bummer that I miss out on the uh, the AirPod revolution, but you know, maybe version two. Well, now that they figured out how to manipulate DNA, maybe they can design ears so that they'll work with the uh, earbuds, AirPods. Yeah, I'd pay for that upgrade. Nope. <laughs> CRISPR edition. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm talking about designing children, you know, where you realize that. Okay, never mind. All right, so uh, before we move on, I just want to have a, a PSA. I don't know if you if people have heard, but there was a major flaw discovered in um, all of Apple software, I guess. Uh, so they've they've released two updates. One is 10.12.6 for macOS and 10.3.3 for iOS. And it has to do with a security flaw, flaw called Broadpone that they've discovered. I'm just trying to remember which one of the last couple of uh, um, security issues we've had in a little while here. Um, this one, yeah, this one, is one where people can uh, hackers can execute arbitrary code in in your uh, devices. Is that the one that was related to a Wi-Fi exploit? Yeah, I believe so. It was something to do with the Wi-Fi chips? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That that sounds like the most recent update that I saw that triggered me to be like, oh man, I got to go update again. Well, I guess I'll do that yeah. during lunch. Yeah. So so did uh, was DefCon or Black Hat conference was that just recently? Very recent? I think that was last week. That's what I was talking about. The one in Vegas, right? Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder if this sort of came out. I don't know. By the speaking of speaking of Black Hat or or DEFCON or whatever, did you see that um, they gave uh, vote, American voting machines to the hackers at the conference at the conference, and they compromised them in a matter of minutes? You guys hear that? Yeah, I, I didn't see what the, the brand was. Was it like Debold or something? Yeah, I don't know. It was a picture, but I don't know. If, you can never go by the pictures on the internet, right? So yeah, but it was just, just you know, in light of what's been going on, you know? Anyway, interesting stuff. So that's it. Yeah, update your Macs. Just uh, do it now. We'll wait. Just pause the podcast and go do it. Right now that you're back, um, posted an uh, article here about uh, Apple versus the trademark sleuths. Uh, interesting article on how Apple evades when they register trademarks. They um, register them in Japan, Jamaica, and places like that to evade uh, people who are you know uh, trolling their their registrations to find out what the next technologies are, are going to be coming out. I think we've seen over the last you know I think forever um, whenever Apple in- introduces a new patent, uh, people kind of start speculating as to what the, the new product will be, um, not often often correctly, but just if you're interested in how Apple um, manages to keep try to keep their secrets, I guess. Um, I think we've talked many times about the fact that they've not been quite as successful as they used to be, but, uh, you know, how they avoid, um, you know, filings of the iPhone 7. Well, the iPhone 7 and iPhone 7 Plus, apparently that was relatively easy to figure out by the name, but um, things like AirPods and Touch Bar, uh, people weren't really, really sure about the, what those were um, when they first uh, were registered as trademarks or HomePod. Every time I hear about it. patent trolls, all I can think about is Thomas Edison. So my mind wanders. <laughs> and why is that? Because Thomas Edison was probably like the first patent troll, the first notable, um, uh, widely known patent troll. Really? Hmm. Okay. And do you have an example of something he might have done? Pretty much all the stuff with the electricity. I mean, if you, in fact, if I can share this article here with you. Hang on. Yeah, Edison was not a good guy. Uh, is this part of the ACDC battle with Tesla? Yeah. <laughs> not that. Tesla, the original Tesla, right? Mr. Tesla himself, yeah. I just think I think a lot of what what he and I'm doing air quotes what he invented was not what he invented. Right, right. Interesting stuff. Okay, I saw this story initially in uh, I think on Six Degrees is that or Six Colors, which is uh, Jason Snell's uh, blog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, I investigated and found this link here, which sort of covers a, a essay style um, that Steve Stratton Smith had taken a look at some of the code that's in I guess the beta software and figured out that there's actually a um, a new infrared face scanning software that will scan your face, and apparently that's how they're thinking the um, unlocking feature is going to be working in the 
upcoming iPhone 8 or 8X or iPhone X or iPhone Pro or whatever it's going to be called. Do you guys have a chance to look at that or read anything about this? You guys I didn't see really- the article, but I saw the sort of like Twitter stream of people talking about this with uh, Steve, was it Troughton Smith? Troughton Smith, yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, it, for one, it seems like a huge mess up from Apple that the HomePod firmware was like even available on uh, whichever download page it was. But then for it to not only be available, but also have these like, you know, w- whatever they're using to turn, you know, the iPhone, iOS into, you know, HomePod OS or whatever they might end up calling it, you know, very similar to the way they've done with TVOS, that it's just a, vi- sorry, a variant of iOS. Looks like they did the same thing here. So it ends up having a ton of stuff in there that it's really not supposed to have, such as that, uh, that aforementioned graphic of, you know, setting up a phone, which surprise, surprise, it kind of looks like the phone layout that people have been thinking that it would end up being based on all the rumors. And right, right. this article doesn't have, but people were even able to pull out like these different wave files that had sounds of, you know, here's what an alarm sounds like. And here's what a notification sounds like. Here's what the setup, you know, prompt or something sounds like. So kind of interesting. I mean, it's, it's kind of neat if you're somebody who's like really into looking into this sort of stuff. So I, I thought that was kind of cool to see. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, right. I, I, I missed a little bit. You're you're talking about the six. I'm, I was looking at it in order, but you're looking at the six colors one that I pasted, not the quartz one. Uh, no, I'm looking at I'm looking at the quartz one. Okay. That's what I was talking okay. about. Okay, got it. Because yeah. you had mentioned it also does, Jason does Snell. Mention the and I was like, Wait a minute, what? Okay, okay, got it. Yeah, initially that's how I got to this article. Initially, when uh, I sort of sort of following up on it, and is up here. Okay, cool. Yeah, great. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that article about the one in six colors? Yes. Yeah. So the article on that again. So the article on six colors titled Apple firmware release may reveal iPhone plans. So there was a lot of interesting stuff uh, dug out of the HomePod um, firmware binary about the HomePod, which is interesting in itself, but there were some little tidbits about uh, the companion iPhone. So for example, the uh, outline diagram of the rumored iPhone 8 with the notch, famously with the little notch on top. Um, And then it was uh, other things like uh, constants about uh, the device model and the code name and um, how it'll have face unlocking and that kind of thing. Um, So I guess because because the, as with all of Apple's devices, they want them to kind of work together. So if you have an iPhone and then you want to airdrop it to the iPad and the HomePod will have a lot of integration. So it was interesting to see um, not just HomePod details, as I think were a lot of tweets about what it does, but then also about what might be coming up for the iPhone. For example, what it might look like, how the face unlock with infrared might work and um, things like that. So yeah, uh, so I did put that in the notes as well, the six colors thing. And if we want to focus a little bit more on the iPhone for a segue, I have this I saw this other post, which is sort of a design mock-up post, which I don't really usually link to and enjoy looking at, but um, this one was pretty good, so maybe we can all indulge a little bit. So this is a post from Max Rudberg, Rudberg? I'll say Rudberg, and he has some mock-ups here about what the what is this thing going to look like with the notch? So he has kind of several examples that he's drawn mm-hmm. out very nicely here. Um, you can kind of scroll through and see them, but if you scroll to the bottom of this article, you'll see them all side by side. So maybe if we just kind of paint a visual picture because this is an audio medium. So the first screenshot there is like the iPhone as it is right now. Giant forehead, giant chin screen in between them, which is fine. Second screenshot, so the the notch, how would you describe it? It's like at the top and it takes up some space in the top center. So at the top left and the top right, there is a little bit of screen, but the top center is not screen. That's where the uh, earpiece kind of, or the ear, whatever speaker is for uh, making phone calls if you actually use your phone as a phone. And so the idea is what are they going to do with the screen? 
screen mm-hmm. to the top left and the screen to the top right. So one mock-up is where it's just going to be screen. It's going to have a white background or a dark background, depending on you know the view and view controller. But it's going to be distinct. Like you will see the notch at a glance. And then the second mock-up says, well, the notch is going to be black, assuming this is like the black phone. And so they are going to make the top left and the top right. The screen will also be black and it will look like there is no notch and it's just kind of flat um, or it's like in a straight line. And then, so that's interesting. And then it's like, okay, what are they going to do? So there's this kind of, I saw this joke on the internet on Twitter, like, you know, are they going to embrace the notch or not kind of thing? Um, <laughs> sort of, what are they going to do? So it's some really, really good mock-ups here because I mean, they're mock-ups. So obviously the black of the plastic or whatever it is, is the same as the black of the screen. And so it looks really good because it looks like it's just, you know, seamless. But in real life, they are different blacks because they have, I don't know how you describe it, different reflective properties or whatever. And so I don't think it will look this good in real life, but I guess we'll see. So what are they going to do at the top? And then also what are they going to do at the bottom? Because there's going to be a fake home button, supposedly, and then they're going to move the navigation maybe to the bottom, as these mock-ups suggest. So the back button will actually be at the bottom left instead of the top left. And then again, the question is, are they going to embrace it? And then are they going to give the black background so it looks like it's like part of the plastic or whatever screen of the phone? Or are they going to um, embrace the tall screen and make it like a white background so the phone is like all screen almost? Um, so anyway, again, I usually don't like, you know, give much credence to this kind of thing with like fake mock-ups of what the hardware is going to look like and whatever. But it's this one is pretty interesting to see um, how they're going to deal with it. Because if the back button moves to the bottom of the screen, that's a pretty big deal in terms of navigation that we're going to have to deal with as developers. And maybe some echoes of Android of having a back button down there in the bottom left. There's an interesting, other interesting post that I put here, and they're very similar. And, and that's from Alan Pike about, and he's called it developing for the iPhone Pro. And um, what I find interesting as, as a designer is that every single one of these mock-ups has that sort of, you know, chin, as we like to call it, and some sort of indication of a home button there. But it, from a design point of view, like, why would you bother making an LCD screen if, it, if the button's always going to be in the same place, right? Um, if they're going to make, if they're going to go to a virtual, you know, some of the mock-ups I've seen, sort of seen is that the home button is, or the touch ID button, if you want to call it that, is somewhere in the bottom range, you know, bottom third or quarter of the of the screen. But why, why would you go all to the, uh, to make this fabulous OLED experience and then, and then put a chin, a virtual chin there, right? Mm. Doesn't make any sense to me. You know? Is there another designer in the room? Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I wouldn't put it there. <laughs> if that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It's, doesn't it seem like kind of weird that like, like in all these drawings that these guys have done, it's, they always ha- seem to have like that little circle or whether they've got a virtual clock in there, you know, some, one of them says 941 digitally, the other one has like little hands on a face. And the other thing I don't, I don't sort of, I get, I see that the notch at the top of the screen has to be there because you've got the speaker, you've got the proximity sensor, which detects when you've got your phone up against your face to turn the screen off. And then there's also uh, the, the front facing camera has to go somewhere on the front. But why, w- again, why would they compromise by having this sort of goofy little notch, you know, um, L, little bit of OLED screen up there that seems kind of a waste. Like, you know, even just to put the status of the battery in there, like it's, I don't know, I think draw a straight line across it. It, it. So I guess I should explain that my art teacher in high school had this thing called a near miss and we were not allowed to do anything. Like we weren't like to, dr- to draw a diagonal line that went to the corner of a piece of paper or something like that because either you hit the corner or you completely miss the corner, but you never have what he called a near miss, right? And to me, this whole notch design is, a, is just a complete near miss. Like it's, it's just, it's bad design. Like I, I don't see Apple ever, ever doing that. Could be wrong, but you know, if they do, I'll be really, from an art, artistic point of view, very disappointed in them. I don't know. I'm still getting over the whole navigation at the bottom part. That I don't. That, that ever, bothers me too. Yeah, I don't ever see that happening. I'll be, I, I'll be surprised if that. 
that happens. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess we're stuck with the paradigms of, of uh, you know, navigation or sorry, a, a tab bar app, which is one of the drawings here. And, um, you know, when you've got the buttons across the bottom, you know, and we're all used to the navigation controller kind of thing at the top, right? So, uh, or or just, you know, table cells that you tap on and, and uh, push into, right? So push and pop. So there's a lot to, to sort of parse there. So let me, let me take the contrarian view here, which is I like my actual view. Um, so let's go with the, which one? Let's go with the chin. So I think, I think you're quite right in that it like doesn't make a ton of sense to have sort of like, well, the home button's kind of always there, you know, in a virtual sense, like what sort of what's the point of that? I, I think for this first step, you wouldn't necessarily want to give up the iconic look, right? Like remember, I don't know, a few years ago when there was the first rumors of, oh, they're going to have this fingerprint sensor. Where are they going to put it? Well, current rumor says it's going to go in the home button. Everybody's like, how are they going to do that? It's so iconic. It's got this little like squircle on it, right? This squared circle um, oh, right. <laughs> sort of thing on it. And it turns out like, well, kind of more the, the silhouette of, you know, this rounded rectangle phone with the just singular circle button was good enough. And now when I look at my iPhone, I'm like, yeah, clearly that's an iPhone. I was like, well, yeah, but they used to have that little logo, that little or little icon, I should say, in that position. So I wonder if this is a bridge to that point of, yeah, it wouldn't make, you know, sensi- you know sensibility beyond branding and, and familiarity of, you know, this is where you go to unlock stuff. Um, you know, there, there's been talk about like, well, they're putting this fingerprint sensing, uh, fingerprint sensing technology under the glass at some point. It's like, well, I'm not sure they can afford to do that everywhere on the glass. There's probably a little bit of fudge factor because you don't have like a physical, you know, notch that you can slide your finger into. And even if you gave a couple inch buffer, you, you, you'd still kind of want their fingers somewhere close to that, that spot, right? You don't want it to be right at the very edge of that. With regard to the widow's peak, if we can call it that, at the, at the very top <laughs> for the notch, I think these, these mock-ups, like I would totally agree. We're like, oh, you know, it's like, well, I, I just see like a white bar or a black bar. They're like, oh, like, what's the point of that? It's like, well, I think the real point is for when you have photography and videography behind that stuff. Not not like, oh, okay, I'm looking at a white screen of like, here's the app store with top charts. Okay, great. But it's a compromise there. But if you're using, you know, AR kit type stuff, or you're looking at your home screen, it's got a picture of your family and your dog and everything. I think that's where it comes into play, where you try to shave off every little square inch of Chrome that you can to bring that content to the front. Yeah, but if you have that notch there, you have to plan all your photographs to, to have a notch in it. I mean, if you're using like the rule of thirds, <laughs> like you're not putting anything real major there anyway. That's true. Right? That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And with regards to the bottom navigation, I, I think I'd, I'd get used to it. Um, I'm not so sure how it works with regard to having, you know, tabbed navigation right above it. This is something that sort of Android struggled with as well and why they shoved their tab navigation to the top until their phones got big and then they realized, well, it's way easier to put that stuff on the bottom. Oh, is that where they have it now? Like tab bars? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they kind of come around full circle and said like, yeah, you know, uh, top tabs, those are terrible. Um, hamburger menus and kebab menus, those are terrible. Let's just do basically tab bar controllers like you have on, on iOS since like the get-go. What's a um, kebab menu? The kebab is the one that's uh, like the three little circles or three little dots on top of each other, usually oh, in the upper right-hand okay. corner. Yeah, yeah. Kind of yeah, looks like, like a shish kebab or... Yeah, ellipsis, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, like a vertically oriented ellipsis. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh, that one. Yeah, yeah. No, I see those in a lot of designs that... Um, yeah, but- <laughs> and with regard to the bottom navigation, like going back on an iPhone 7 Plus is actually kind of difficult. Like, yes, there is the sort of like 3D touch edge swipe sort of thing, but that's sort of hard to do with like one hand while you're eating, for example, or while you're like, you know, locking the car or doing any other sorts of things that you might normally do. Uh, like it works, I'm sure, really well on something like a, um, what, what, I'm just struggling which models. Okay, well, for sure, the iPhone 7 has 3D touch, right? So that's, that's a much smaller model that probably works on, but yeah, the leverage just not there 
air unless you have considerably sized hands, I think, to do it with a 7 Plus. Well, I was going to suggest, too, like, you know, like, like okay, so let's imagine we don't have, like, I'm looking at this this picture on the Alan Pike page with the with the, the, um, like the clownfish floating in the Indiana Mini, right? And and there's no there's no graphic or no representation of a home button there. But And I'm, I'm not one of these people who likes the number of clicks that we have to go through to get things. But imagine, if you will, that you swipe up from the bottom to bring up a virtual, um, you know, what do you call those things, control panel that has a home button in sort of region on it, right? Rather than having it omnipresent, as, as those other designs seem to imply, maybe you slide up from the bottom and then you have a home button that you can do the Touch ID stuff with. Or, or you know, you go to a web page or, or go to an app that requires Touch ID to enter and that automatically opens up and then you place your thumb on it and then it just drops out of the way. Uh, what do you think about that? I think that might work as an option. Um, I certainly would like using that sort of thing to get, you know, it's like a more of a full screen mode. Um, I worry about discoverability of that sort of thing. Like there are way too many people nowadays who are still kind of surprised and amazed by the control panel or control center. Right. Right. Cause it's not like, it's not the thing you would naturally do. I think people kind of get used to like sliding down for notifications, uh, notification center. But I think the, the control panel one, like the percentage of drop off that you have from like a hundred percent of people understanding is just like way too high. So I'd, I'd worry about making something as sort of basic and critical as the home button that always takes you to a known place as the escape valve. And sure. I, th- I think for key, people, hey. <laughs> yeah, I, like for people who know what they're doing, you know, like the folks, you know, on this podcast and probably the vast majority of people listening to this podcast, I think that's totally fine. as like a, you know, show me this as a, a pro user sort of option. Like, yeah, I, I don't need that, that Chrome because I, I know I can swipe from the bottom and go do this. Right. Right. Well, that said, I mean, like I have to say one of my rants is that there are t- way too, and Tammy can follow me down this road here. There are way too many gestures on an iPhone as it is. And there's so much time, you know, times when the, the UI rotates because you have your hand at a slight angle or whatever, um, and you don't want it to rotate at that point in time, or you end up swiping. And I, I remember Mark and I were working on a, a, a view at one point where we had to p- uh, put in um, methods for, you know, one, one finger tap, two finger tap, three finger tap, you know, and then a, a pile of gestures on top of that. And it just gets crazy in terms of what um, what happens in, you know, general daily use, single-handed daily use, I should say. Like, you know, usually I'm on the sub or in the streetcar or traveling home when these kind of things I find super annoying, you know, because I don't have a second free hand to sort of um, fumble with the phone, right? But um, you guys not find that there's way too many gestures and slide swipey, you know, double clicky kind of things happening? It's funny that you mentioned about the whole single-handed thing because I tend to read my iPhone at night when I'm laying down and, you know, I have to put the portrait lock on because every the slightest little turn, it's going to switch it to landscape and then inevitably I always forget to switch it back. So I go to take a photo and I can't switch it. It's really, it's, it's frustrating. And then I can never reach the top to get to the browser window, you know, to click at something at the third, pardon me, to tap at something at the top. And then, you know, and I know this is part of the app design as opposed to the actual device itself, but like, you know, I'll, I'll try to move my thumb or something to, to not actually move off the page, but to like slide down the page, like to, to scroll through it. And I end up, you know, going back, going forward or accidentally, you know, long pressing. And now all these new options come up where I can, you know, do all these different things. And it's like, dude, I just want to read my book or I want to read the web page or I want to do whatever it is I'm doing. And I'm, you know, there were, I, I don't know if y'all remember this, not, not too long ago, I think it was on this show where we were talking about how they used to have, you know, just one iPhone or two iPhones to choose from and one MacBook and, and, and a desktop to choose from. And I could send people who didn't understand computers or were just getting into it, go to the 
Apple store. They'll give you a couple of choices and they'll find what works for you. It's very simple. There's no fuss, no must, no complication. And nowadays it's like, I'm afraid to send anybody anywhere because everything is so confusing, you know? And I know it's true that yes, if they end up putting the navigation on the bottom or they end up putting that stupid notch at the top or whatever new design that they come out with, we will all get used to it and it will either be good or it will not be good, but it will be something we'll end up using and getting used to. I don't like change, but change is coming and we're going to have to deal with it. And things are going to get more complicated because we are asking more and more from our devices. So I don't know where I was going on this rant other than I miss the simple (laughs) days. That's all. I totally miss the simple days. I just, I won't go back to a flip phone. That's what I'm going to do. Go to a flip phone and wait for zombies. Hey, so quick, quick question there, just on following up what you said there. Do you, do you not use the reachability feature in your phone? Like we double tap the home button to bring the, the whole screen down so you can reach the top? Every time I try and double tap the home button, like some other thing comes up. I'm like, oh, just forget yeah. it. No, no, you don't, you don't actually press, you don't actually press down. You just tap it with your, you just you hit, hit the meteor double touch. finger double on touch. the top of the button. Yeah. Double touch. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. I, ha- I have tried, um, you know, praying to the sun God to make it work and it just doesn't work. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I got weird fingers. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. So this infrared face lock thing, coming back to the uh, six colors article that Greg had linked here. That's scary. Um, That's worse well, than Well, maybe it solves a problem for you, Tammy, though, because like the first thing to mentioned here is like, oh, the infrared is so the face unlock on the iPhone 8 can work in the dark at night. And that's probably true. That makes a lot of sense. I think it's a little bit weird. You wouldn't mention like, well, if it's going to be used as a touch ID complement or replacement, you would kind of want that anyways. So you could tell, you know, am I even looking at a face or is this just like a flat surface video that somebody's trying to use to hack into my phone, right? Like it seems like a, a really great security mechanism. And I'm hoping, 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 hoping that it's not just the front facing camera that has that. I'm hoping the rear facing one has it too, because if you remember back when Apple bought Prime, I think it's called Prime Sense, the originators of the Xbox Connect stuff. That was all infrared sensor based, right? Like how they would detect that your, you know, arms and legs were moving, you know, throughout, you know, 3D space in your living room. That's how that worked. And Project Tango, the Google project, uses a lot of that to do its sort of like indoor awareness and spatial awareness. And given what we've seen of AR Kit, I'm super hopeful that the iPhone 8, iPhone X, iPhone Pro, iPhone Burrito Supreme, um, hopefully that ends up being something that has infrared in it. And as a bonus, Tammy, given the scenario you just described of using your phone, presumably in a like prone horizontal position, uh, what if you could use the power of the accelerometer to know the orientation of the phone and the face detection to understand the orientation of your face? And if they both align horizontally because you're laying down in bed, it won't automatically, you know, rotate <laughs> because it's like, well, why would we rotate? Obviously, that's not what they want. And when you're trying to take a landscape photo, it's like, well, this person is standing up vertically and the phone is horizontal. So, ah, that's clearly what they want. The intent is there. I want to say one thing about the rant that I did go on about, you know, having to deal with change. One of the new features that I, and it's not new anymore, but obviously when it first came out, it was new. One of those features was the um, uh, the night shift mode. You know, it's little subtle things like that, that Apple does that makes me stay on the platform. And if if they just make these subtle tweaks for the user, the thing with the whole face detection, I don't know that I have enough tin foil to wear on my head to feel comfortable with that 
just yet, but it is kind of a cool technology. But I worry about where things are going to go and like AIs that are going to have these conversations by themselves. It's scary stuff. Possibly. By the way, I just posted, pasted a picture in, in the, the chat. Did you guys have a look at that? So I talked Tim, about... why don't you describe the picture because it's, yeah, it's great. I've actually got, I've actually got a whole series of them and, and it's pretty creepy. I also posted it on my Instagram when I was going through the setup, but uh, our friend of the show, uh, Alexis Gallagher, sent me a copy or a test flight copy of Topology Eyewear, which is avail- currently only available in the United States, to play around with. And what you do with the software is you actually take a 3D selfie. So you hold the your arms out straight and you turn your head to the right, turn your head to the left, and it basically scans your face. Like it uses the front-facing camera. I did it on an iPhone 7 too because apparently 7 Plus, because uh, apparently it does a high-res scan of your face. But um, yeah, it's actually mapped my face. And, and in the picture, you can see dots where my nose are. And the glasses that are there in the picture are, I like took the pictures without my glasses on, but these are glasses that I'm picking through the app. And, you know, as you turn your head, it's really creepy to sort of be able to turn your head by just rub, scrubbing your finger back and forth. But because um, it looks like a real head, right? <laughs> but yeah, but what's cool about it is it's got a whole sort of uh, triangulated map of my of my face. There, I mean, the promise of topology eyewear is that you'll finally get a pair of glasses that's designed to fit your face, like, you know, the bridge of your nose and how far your ears are away from your front of your face and that kind of stuff, right? And that they'll be the proper width that you need. But um, yeah, so it's, it's, but this is really cool. And this is the same kind of thing that we're talking about, I think, is that, you know, being able to scan your face, you know, and like, as Jaime just sort of said, I wouldn't be able to, theoretically, I wouldn't be able to uh, just drop in a, a flat image of myself to sort of fool the software into thinking this was me, right? Because it probably, does, like the Touch ID, it probably takes a few samples of things, right? I think that'd be pretty cool because I have a problem with finding glasses of any sort that fit my face. My nose is wide, but not deep. So the bridge construction is, is like a huge issue for me. Bridge construction. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for those of you driving home regarding uh, Tammy's tinfoil hat comment, I would not recommend wearing a tinfoil hat if you're trying to evade face detection. I would actually stick with a nice domino mask or perhaps a beauty mask and you can moisturize <laughs> at the same time. Domino mask. There was something else I was going to say about Tammy's rant there. Not that it was a rant, Tammy. Oh, oh, yeah, that's what it was. Speaking of new features, I went to uh, another presentation at Apple on Friday, and it was a WWDC 2017 recap, and they went through all the sort of new changes coming in, and they ended surprisingly on drag and drop. And so while uh, while um, they were speaking, I opened up my iPad, which happened to have uh, iOS 11 on it, and as they were telling, describing drag and drop, I actually tried it out, and I hadn't actually even thought about trying drag and drop out on the device, but you know, I constantly because we're researching for the show, I'm always finding URLs and I want to paste them in. So I have to copy them, like hold down with my finger to copy them and select the text, you know, to get the whole URL and then switch over to Google Docs and find the double tap on the page to get it to editable, editable mode and then paste in the link and then go back and copy and paste the title and put that into the notes as well, right? So what I found was that with this um, drag and drop, I can actually just click on the link in Safari and then, you know, it kind of becomes a virtual uh, takes a snapshot of that and like it's, uh, you, so you're holding it down with your right hand and with your left hand you go and you open up your uh, Google Docs document or whatever and may activate it and then drop in uh, <laughs> drop in uh, drop in the, uh, the the story right so I'm just laughing at what Tammy just said but uh, it's a private chat great. Tim yeah no no I can cut that out but I can still laugh at it Tim anywho the scissors now <laughs> anyway it was it was really kind of cool uh, the uh, really kind of cool the the uh, using drag and drop.
Anyway, I just uploaded a video of uh, that I made of the um, process of in, uh, you know taking the selfie with uh, with the phone. So, and you can see it's kind of like I was using my finger to scroll back and forth. And it's a really kind of creepy, uh, creepy experience. To be able to you know move your dismembered head on your <laughs> on your phone, right? Yeah, I've also done it. I might actually order glasses because uh, Alexis does keep bugging me to really? buy some glasses. Ah. So I have scanned my face. I got I had an optometrist appointment, got my new prescription. So I might actually uh, order some glasses so I can report back on whether they actually fit my face or not they are custom yeah. fit you in theory don't have to get them adjusted you can just put them on they will fit you know the geography of your face exactly but they are custom like i've actually been to their office slash factory and they have a whole bunch of fancy laser powered machines that you know cut it and install stuff and you know the cnc machines that actually uh carve out a solid block of aluminium to make your glasses and all that so it is pretty fancy stuff oh wow. yeah mm. right right <laughs> they probably do something similar to what the online mattress companies do. Do you know about these online mattress companies? Yeah, there's yeah, so many of them now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, they're awesome. I have one, and, and it's fantastic. But part of the guarantee is if you if you don't like it, they'll come and take it away and do something with it. And what they end up doing is they, they donate it to like a homeless shelter or, or something like that. They donate it to charity. So that's probably what these guys do. They take the ones that people return and they give them to homeless people or something. Oh, uh, that's interesting. I do remember, I think mm. it was Lenscrafters. They did that. Like if you have your old pair of glasses and you bring them back because you've got your new pair then the yeah i think they will donate them they won't just throw them out um that's a good point because yep. somebody can if somebody out there in the world has the same prescription as you surely or i guess they could pop out the lenses or something and give or it close enough yeah. yeah close enough yeah yep. yeah 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 warby parker does that it's where you get like five to try at a time you choose the one you like and then they donate a pair every time you buy a pair sort of that oh, really kind of, hmm. are they like an online thing where you can order them online as well and they actually have some a handful of physical retail stores as well beyond just the online presence um, so, Mark, if you don't mind me asking, as long as we're on a little tangent here, which of these mattresses do you have? I have the Lisa. Considering the Lisa, okay. I've never yeah. heard of that one. Yeah. Yeah. I only know Casper and L-I-S-S-A. And I know one other one, I think, but I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, yeah. This is one of the, I guess, one of the earlier ones. Maybe not the first one, because the, what was the first one you said, Casper or something? I think that was one of the, anyway, they've been around for a while. I've had mine probably a year. And it's great. It's, it really is fantastic. Uh, I it's took all little, memory foam, right? Isn't it? Well, it, uh, it, yes, but not. It's not just a slab of memory foam. They have a, a, a whole a set of layers uh, that are you know different uh, different types of foam and different thicknesses, and then different materials mixed in to try to balance out the memory foam aspect with the with the just the, the you know the, just the soft comfort aspect of it. It works right, real yeah. well. I mean, I, I took a complete risk in, in getting mine. I mean, I, to be honest, when I, when I got it, I didn't even know that there were all these different ones out there. I just saw some good reviews of this one so i got it and uh and it's it's worked great so today's episode is brought to you by lisa the yeah. mattress that no, <laughs> not just yeah, memory yeah. foam the yeah, material yeah, has yeah, also yeah. been the material has also been doped with silicon for that great heat semiconductivity mm. semiconductivity <laughs> yeah very important <laughs> semiconductivity because i heard you all talking about the doping thing yep. the last time yep. so yeah i, really I, I got the reference well, so, so got the you reference. wouldn't you wouldn't but you wouldn't dope with silicon you would dope silicon right come on let them have but actually, actually actually uh, actually you might you might if you used a, uh, a a more esoteric semiconductor like gallium arsenide, you might dope the gallium arsenide with silicon for a different a different result. Okay, you know? enough rocket science already. All right, okay. Tim, let's turn it back. <laughs> let's turn it back. <laughs> 
Well, I was going to say that was Mark's pick, so we should might as well just move on to the pick. Yeah, right. think, or, or are we done? Yeah, Greg, turn back. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's reel it back. Let's reel it back. We're reeling it back in. So that was Mark's pick. So what, now we're in the pick section. Um, so, I mean, do you have a pick for us this week? I do, and it's one that will be kind of going on and affecting everybody. So now, not only can you have a mere 2,000 testers or external testers in TestFlight, Apple has said you can barely have 10,000 users in your beta test, which is absolutely fantastic. Because even even the two thousand and the original one thousand, depending on you know your distribution list, could get a little bit a uh, little bit tight there. So having really you know mm. five times the amount of room is great. I guess they're be- banking on the fact you don't have ten thousand friends, right? <laughs> I mean, there's still limitations and everything, right? Like you know, as they've opened up test flight to be kind of more like the old test flight, you have um, you know you can have multiple versions out there, and I think this kind of goes along with it. It's like, well, what if I have two thousand users on version A and I want to have two thousand users on version B to A-B test some sort of new, you know, some new feature we're working on. Uh, you were kind of out of luck before, whereas now you can have your hypothetically entire user base testing this out, see how they like it, and then actually get it into the App Store proper. Uh, of course, it's not meant to be any sort of way to bypass the App Store and review itself. I mean, they, they still kind of keep tabs on that and your betas are limited anyway, so you'd at least have to go through the effort like every 60 days, I think, for expiration time. So if you're thinking right. of using it to game the, the store... Uh, don't bother. No, I was, it's, it's I was kidding that, about that, yeah. No, I mean, not you, you, not you personally, Tim. I mean, you, the listeners out there who might be like, aha, I found a, found a hole. I was like, well, not really, but it's a good thing for developers. It, it opens up, you know, more possibilities, I think. So we were looking at uh, test flight today. And um, by the way, it's 90 days now for test flight expiration, but uh, it used to be 60. But um, uh, have you guys noticed, like, so, because uh, I was showing somebody today and he was confused about the fact that there are now multiple versions. So have you, had you guys, was that there before when you clicked on a on a particular install if it would say um, how many versions there were on the store. Have you guys seen that before? I've not seen the user side of this to, to be honest. I've, I've seen the ability to have multiple versions of, of you know, right. you know 2.0 and 2.1 right. test so, flight at the same time but I've never actually gone onto my device and checked to see what the user side okay, of that so, is. Okay, so what you see now, if you tap on if you tap on, like you tap on the, the cell in the middle of the cell to get the details on the app at the bottom there's a previous builds um, another uh, table cell there so, and you can see, you know, version 201 or version 2.00. And then I can see that I've got two builds of that to that what version and, you know, other builds. So, I mean, because, you, you know, I don't I don't know if you guys ever noticed, but I, I mean, who goes in and cleans up their, their iTunes Connect um, builds? Does anybody here? Probably not, right? So, You'd like that, the test flight builds? Uh, yeah. I've, I've had to in the past because there at least used to be a limit to the number you could have at any one time. Right, right. Uh, they, I think it was something like 50 different ones. So I've had to go back and clear out the old ones before I uplo- uploaded a new one. I don't know how it works now with all the diversioning though. Yeah, like I'm, I'm just looking at my various apps on my test flight account and, and I see that you know, I've got like one build of apps that I put out, you know, three, four months ago, I've got one build of, but the ones that I've been doing the last couple of weeks, I've got, you know, three or four builds of showing up under, you know, the current one plus previous versions as well. So that must be a, a new addition to iTunes Connect. Well, it's, it's been like that at least since iOS 11 was announced. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's a new feature, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Mr. Hugh, do you want to go or should I go? Uh, I'll go next. I have a couple of picks. The first one is a, uh, they're both media picks, just to give a little uh, foreshadowing here. So the first one is from the Swift Coders podcast, uh, episode number, I believe, 62, if the slug is to be believed. So it's episode 62 (laughs) of Swift Coders, where um, Garrick interviews uh, Swift developers and kind of talks about their story and how they got started and how they got to be so awesome and things like that. So the season three finale of Swift Coders features our own uh, Timitra. So that's exciting. Um, Tim, have you been interviewed? on 
Roundabout before? I yeah, I was interviewed on Roundabout back when Charlie was doing it. My, okay. my very first podcast, I was interviewed by Ash Furrow actually on uh, so what was it called? Springboard. Was, I think we're Springboard. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. it was. Yeah, and he he did it for a while. And then when he went to Amsterdam, he stopped doing it for a while. Um, but I just noticed today or a couple of days ago on Twitter that uh, apparently Artsy is doing a, a podcast now. So Orta and um, Ash were uh, pictured in front of a couple of microphones. Mm. But yeah, I mean that was my first. That was when I got the podcasting bug, if you will, because I had no idea even what a podcast was until I was on one with with um, with Ash. And then I, when I saw you know what was involved in getting in producing one, and you know the, the light bulb went down, and that's how we started uh, more than just code podcast. Okay, cool. So there. So okay, mm-hmm. so you have been interviewed before. Maybe I just it was it must have been a long time ago. So I, I think it was a long time ago. So I don't remember. But since you know, if you're listening to the show right now, then you have heard Tim for possibly three years, a hundred and fifty some episodes and um this show just kind of started and you talk about stuff but don't talk about yourselves as much so if you wanted to get to know the man the man behind the microphone then you should definitely check out the episode i haven't finished it i'm maybe about halfway through but uh you know it's sort of the story of tim which is interesting so maybe as pick number one subsection b i should also have um jaime lopez jr's roundabout.fm or sorry roundabout episode uh episode 89 that's the most recent one where he was interviewed on roundabout which i haven't listened to yet because i had my podcast listed in order of most recent and tim's was on first in the list and i just tapped that one and started listening so um you can hear uh, three people who are on this podcast it'll be tammy and tim interviewing jaime i assume talking about um how he got his start in the world and all of that stuff so if you want to learn more about the two hosts then they also they have uh they both have recent podcasts out so those are uh, that's pick one and pick one subsection so B. before you move on though i have before you move on i have been on i have co-hosted 30 episodes of roundabout creative chaos hmm. podcast okay has it been 30? 30, yeah. Wow, cool. Jaime's was the 30th. That's why I was waiting for that one. Oh, nice. Nice. Oh, nice. nice. Round number. It, it was quite a, quite a bit of fun being on, on that show. And, you know, I do listen to Roundabout. And so I knew a little bit of, of what to be prepared for and kind of how it would flow. Uh, you and know, then we like, pulled the rug up from underneath them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, you can sort of hear even a little bit in the episode, which is kind of fun for me, which was the I'm totally lost as to how that show is produced. You know, I'm very familiar with how MTJC is produced and we have a certain style and it's completely different for roundabout even though it's pretty much the same crew <laughs> for the most part yeah so so if you ever do figure out how roundabout is is produced let tammy or myself know it's different <laughs> yeah, every time we have a slice, there's like little elves that come in and handle post-production and recording and everything they do it all that's always that's fun not true i just made that up <laughs> it's always zombies fun. <laughs> zombies do it all right let's reel it in so let's pick number one combined pick uh learn more about tim learn more about Jaime why not more podcasts since again if you're listening to this you presumably like podcasts and so my second uh, pick number two is a YouTube video again AR kit and AR kit demos are kind of all over the place this one is just a video so who knows it may not be real I don't know um, but it is a AR thing supposedly on an iOS 11 device I believe because they said they used AR kit um, and it's if you are of a certain age you will remember uh, the at least in North America America one hit wonder band aha with their song uh, take on me and so i think at the time it was like oh my god this is so high tech it was like rotoscoped it's like this woman and she's reading this cartoon which is like in pencil and the cartoon kind of like co- 
comes alive and she goes into the cartoon. But then they had this cool effect where you were like in a room and there's like a wind, not a window, like a portal, like a door. And on the other side, it's like pencil land, but on this side, it's not. And the camera kind of goes in and out. And again, for the 80s, it was a very, very cool effect. And so that if you remember the music video, I don't even know. Do they still make music videos these days? Is that still a thing? Like, yeah, they, they do. do. Yep. All right. Yep. Yep. So people know what the music video is. is. Yep. Okay. Um, <laughs> so if you remember that music video, they have kind of recreated <laughs> it in this video where presumably you are holding up your phone and you can see like a doorway or something like that. And it's like this guy dancing around to the music in sort of pencil sketchy. But then if you step through it and you turn around, then it's like um, you can see the real people in real world. But people dance sort of across the doorway, so to speak, and they kind of turn into pencil and they turn back. So anyway, um, a disclaimer, this thing might be fake. I don't know. They're like, oh, we don't intend to release this app. It was just for testing or whatever. So I don't know. Maybe it's fake. But um, anyway, it's memories of the 80s. So I had to put it in here. So if you want to check it out, then um, relive the 80s and uh, check out this AR kit demo. That's my second pick. Speaking of videos, you know who Shad is, Greg? Who what? You know who Shad is? Shad? No, I don't think so. Canadian, Canadian rapper. He was the host of Q on CBC for a while. Mm, I don't know about rap music and I don't know about Canadian music. So I, I do not know. Well, we, we actually talked to to Darby um, on Tammy's show, but um, Darby Wheeler. But this video by Shad, which I or, which I really like, Shad, I think his name is Shad. Um, it's really kind of cool because he he's in an alleyway in Toronto and he as he's singing this song and he, he starts off in a room and he walks down, out, out into this alleyway and interacts with people on left and right on the alleyway and he goes all the way down the alley and then halfway through the song he stops and they reverse the film right and he in, and so, and so all the interactions work when he's going down the alley and the same interactions work coming back up the alley hmm. in reverse yeah so it's kind of cool i'll post a link to that in the show notes for people to take a look at mm-hmm. all right him what about you do you have a pick well i was gonna say so uh, it's just funny that you should say this because you know when tammy asked me what my favorite word was on roundabout creative chaos when i was a guest on the show my favorite word is ensorcelled which is like means you know it's around sorcery like it's to be have sorcery applied to you kind of thing to be ensorcelled right um as like you know some women can do to men they can ensorcel them and make them fall in love with them and that kind of stuff but so i was poking around uh, there was a post by on on the radio Analytics website and i heard heard about this um code generator called sorcery by christoph zablotsky zablocki christoph zablocki who's somebody i follow on on uh, twitter as well and so what's cool about this is uh, it, we've talked about this doing core data in the past where you know you go and set your model up and you def- define all your fields and that kind of stuff and then you have to build a class for that the, to access the objects in the in the manage object context whatever it's called mom and um, model and then so there's a feature in Xcode where you can go into the menu and say create the classes for me and it creates them for you and uh, you know automatically generates them and then you can you know put them into your into your code and, and access the uh, the content in the core data persistent store if you will um, but what sorcery does is a similar thing so if you have to parse j and this is just one example if you want to parse json for instance and you have you know in your feed you have the the properties you want to deal with you can use this uh, sorcery thing where you create a um what do you call it a template i guess uh and you define you have it adopt a protocol and then you you look for that protocol in the sorcery script and then you say for every object that's declared in here create this particular initializer or what have you to write the class for that particular to be able to access all the objects that are that are being coming out of your feed and you can do this for multiple classes just by adopting the same protocol and it and you run the uh the sorcery script and it generates that boilerplate code for you like it's the same you know you're gonna have to type the same 
type of code for every single one of your classes. Like you might have a person class, you might have a restaurant class or, or you know, a beer class, if you will. Um, and in the tutorial, and I got to remember who wrote, oh, Chris Wagner, duh. Okay, sorry. So in Chris Wagner's tutorial here called Generating Swift Code for iOS, he t- walks you through how to very quickly, you know, get the get a binary version of uh, the source uh, source recode and go th- goes through how to very do what I just said you could do to basically build out these this boilerplate code for you. So it's kind of an interesting to see if you're coming at Swift or you're even an intermediate developer in Swift and, and you know you got to do this same repetitive task over and over again. Um, you can use Sorcery to basically build the uh, class for you. So there you go. That's Sorcery. Had you guys heard of Sorcery before? I had, but I've never used it before. Um, been on a project where they did something kind of similar in, in sort of spirit where let's say like your localized strings file, if you want to have that be you know, type safe for Swift and make sure like the compiler tells you, hey, by the way, you're referencing something that doesn't exist. You can use a technique kind of very similar where instead of using, you know, and it's localized strings, such and so forth, you can get like a series of enums that will have your actual like namespaced values, like, I don't know, button dot label dot, you know, my feature dot text sort of thing. And while this doesn't necessarily approach the same space, it's kind of a similar idea of using, you know, metaprogramming type bits to deal with a lot of the boilerplate and the stuff that you can sort of get into pitfalls for. Like if you have a particular standard for, oh, um, we're, we're doing Viper, let's say, for example, we're doing Viper and it's kind of a hassle to like have everybody, you know, all right, make sure you name, you know, the view, this thing and make sure you name the presenter this way. It's like, well, okay, we could do that. Or we could have what I presume would be a sorcery template that says, all right, type in, what is this thing? This is the happy fun time feature. Okay, great. This is happy fun time view, happy fun time presenter, happy fun time interactor, and so on and so forth. I can see that being powerful for that sort of thing to sort of, you know, let the computer do what it does really well and let me do the thinking sort of thing. You know, I'm thinking of like Xcode plugins now where the only thing right now Xcode plugins can do is like deal with the source editor. And this seems like it would be, it would make a good plugin. Speaking of that, don't you think? Because it's like you put in a comment and you say insert code here and then you can imagine like hitting some um, shortcut key and it runs and is that, is that what it does? Is it the plugin or is it like you have to run an extra step? I I think I skimmed through the the, uh, tutorial, but I didn't look at the details. Um, Yeah. So what you do is, by the way, they're called stencils, not templates. And I just, uh, so, so in Chris's um, tutorial, what he does is, is suppose you have a person class that has like, you know, a name and uh, an age and a gender, for instance, and you want to basically adopt the equatable protocol and create an extension. So, so you have your person object declared in your, in your person class or struct, and then um, you create a template that basically says, you know, for each type, you know, over create a function that overwrites the equatable operator, the double equal sign, where you have a left and a right side. And instead of having to type it all out, you know, to create your guard statement with your left side name equals right side name, otherwise return false, you know, and then age equals age and gender equals gender. Um, you create this template that sort of has the placeholders for the, you know, the type name and the, the class name. And then you run it, uh, run the, run the, uh, the, the source res- uh, script on it and it automatically creates that, um, that, that um, extension for you. And then so if you have another class that sort of structured the same way in a struct and you want to add it to the, also have it adopt equatable, then you run this, you just run the same, make, run that through the script. So all of your classes get made into this one auto generated file. Like it's not like you create separate files for you, but, or it can, but in this case, it just creates one big giant file with all the extensions you need to basically make your person equatable and your beer equatable and so on and so forth. Right. Mm. As an example, another another one we've looked at too, and I don't know if you guys have heard of this before, but Swagger apparently they use it on the Android side a lot. 
um, and we're kind of experimenting with it. One of the guys at work is experimenting with uh, creating some um, stuff that we use all the time in our in our uh, product or uh, products, um, where he's using Swagger to generate uh, Swift code, which is kind of cool. Similar yeah. idea. Yeah, you create interesting. And in that one, that's like monkey templates or whatever those called. Um, and we looked at that at RWDevCon, I think in in um, mixed talk about Docker. Right? Uh, is it monkey? Uh, I don't know. Is that like a monkey type file. Yeah. I'm not sure because the only Mustache. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Monkey mustache. That's the one. Yeah. I was close. <laughs> yeah. You create mustache templates and it's the same sort of thing. Uh, it, it creates, uh, generates code for you. Just handy stuff. I didn't know that Swagger did what you just described. I've only heard of Swagger being used for the context of REST APIs and particularly because right. it's really good at, at building nice documentation for it, you know, while you're building the, the API itself. I guess the one of the benefits of Sorcery is it does use like SourceKitten under the hood. So it understands Swift syntax, I'm assuming. I haven't looked at it in detail, but I yes, think that's one yeah, of the appeals of so. it. But um, just as a base templating language, it reminded me of uh, a GYB, uh, Generate Your Boilerplate, which if you've browsed through the Swift open source repository, they use this a lot. So back in the old days before like really strong protocol-oriented programming, they were like, well, we have to define um, integer, float, double, and whatever, um, bool or whatever, to all conform to this protocol. And they were like, well, it's repetitive. We have to write the same code four times. But instead, we'll have this really, really simple code generation, as the name suggests, generate your boilerplate. And you have like, it's like a meta language that will generate code for you. So it's something that the Swift team uses. It's a Python script. And um, it looks kind of like this, like you can have for loops and variables, and then you just put your code in between. And if, I don't know if you if you have done mustache templating, like for HTML, it's kind of similar to that. I'll just drop a, uh, somebody wrote a tutorial on this thing, generate your boilerplate on how it works. So again, if you're curious about how some, I think it's still used in the Swift repository as well. So if you're just curious about how this stuff works um, for very, very simple code generation, this is basically just a text processing language. It doesn't know anything about the source code. So maybe it's a nice um, contrast between sorcery and this thing, which is just, again, text processing. That's it. That's it. I'll just put the link here. Uh, you, you, you can organize these later. Sure. All right. So Tammy, did you come up with a pick? I did. And it might seem weird, but ScreenFlow, and I know a lot of people know what it is and they use it for uh, screencasts and, and video capture and audio capture and things like that. But what a lot of people don't realize or they often forget is that ScreenFlow is also really good for creating animated GIFs or GIFs or however you want to say it. It allows okay. you to take your video, then you can export it out. You can modify the size. You can do whatever you want with it. You can add things, just basically edit it. And it really packages it up nicely in a tiny little package. So yeah, ScreenFlow. I give a thumbs up to that. I think it's new in ScreenFlow 6. Isn't that right, Tammy? The animated GIF export? Is that what it is? Is that why I never saw it before? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you if you thought it was like, oh my God, this is amazing. How did I know, not know this? I believe ScreenFlow 6, that's the one where they made the icon, I'll say ugly, like all really simple. Like it's not a camera anymore. It's like just the letter S or something. Is that right? I have to look at it mm. now. Um, I don't have it on this computer. But uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's the latest version introduced it from what I remember. Um, and now you've just ruined my superpower because people always ask me, how did you do those animated GIFs on your site? They look so good on your blog post. Oh, man. And that is my secret. I use Keynote. I make animations because I'm reasonably good at Keynote animations and I record them and I export them as animated GIFs because if you do that with QuickTime, oh. QuickTime uses some kind of lossy codec like H.264 or whatever and then, you know, it introduces artifacts and that, that doesn't work very well with animated GIFs because it looks all horrible. But ScreenFlow does the like animation codec, I assume. So it's like lossless because it's uh, screen recording and then the animated GIFs come out perfect, relatively small files and uh, they look good. So that is my secret on how 
how I do animated gifs for my site. Hmm. Busted. Interesting. And it, you pick. know, I never Good updated pick. my ScreenFlow. I thought I thought it didn't work anymore, but apparently it does still work. It, it should still know? work. Yeah. Why wouldn't it? Mark, pick. Did I ask you already? Yeah, we already talked about it like an hour ago. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh right, your pick. Yes, yes, yeah. I remember. He was All the right, transition pick following. into the session, into the section. Yeah. All right. So before we go, you guys have any thoughts for the last three years of producing podcasts? I have some numbers before anyone gets all mushy and sentimental. So I have written my scripts. I have parsed the feed. Tim, you'll be sad to know there are four episodes that are incorrectly coded and do not have a duration in the field. So I will tell you which those are. Really? Yes. Yes. Hmm. I was very sad that my script came up with errors. So subtracting these four episodes, um, you have produced a total of 715,000 seconds of audio. That's 11,900 minutes. That's 198. That's about 11,000 minutes. That's just over 198 hours. But given the four episodes that are incorrectly coded, I imagine you guys are well over 200 hours, which is over eight days of straight audio. So if you listen to all the episodes back to back without sleeping, it would take you probably like nine days to listen to it all. So that is the body of work mm-hmm. that you guys have produced. Did you did you um, figure out what... Um, probably no. That is all I have. To, uh, that is all the, I have. The number of bytes. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, the number of bytes. I could probably do that. Is that in the feed as well? Yeah. What is the... Um, it's required. It's required. Is it? What's the tag? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Can't you just go into the directory mm-hmm. and, you know, du minus s and find out the length? Like, do I really need to... No, I don't have the, I don't have them all in one place. I don't oh, have them all in one place. Right. Some of them are on the drawable. Some of them... Right. Yeah. Can't we extrapolate if we know what the average bit rate is? We can just multiply that by the number of seconds? Oh, you know what? I can probably get it that from from Fireside because... Right. Yeah, it's got to be in your hosting size, bill right? kind of thing. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you find that one. No, it's unlimited, so it doesn't matter how, how uh, long, as long we are. Fair enough. As long as it's below 100 megabytes, right? I mean, you had some data as well? Well, so I have a folder called Completed Podcasts, where I've been squirreling away locally oh. all of these fine, wonderful podcasts. Oh, it's my offside backup. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and my, my folder here <laughs> says 11.56 gigabytes for 154 items, which matches the number of episodes prior to the one we're recording now. That's about 75 megs an episode. That's a little bit high, but Tim used to do stereo back in the old days, so that's possible. So, no, I still use stereo, but I had to I had to um I had to re-res them because some of the, if they were over a hundred megabytes, I couldn't upload them to uh Fireside. So I had to change the bit rate down to uh, something sixteen, mm, okay. I think, or whatever. I have to look at the setting. But then Jaime's yeah. been downloading them even back in the stereo days, right? Like no, I know, been, yeah. Well, they're, they're, they're still in stereo. Okay. They're still in stereo. So he has the high res versions of them, I guess. Okay. Yeah. I have I have the um the, the VHS versions. Okay. Got it. Published. <laughs> there we go. Number of bytes. bytes. Nice. And I will nice. tell you which ones have errors. Uh, here we go. Okay. I'll put that in the uh, in the doc here for you. Mm-hmm. And this is also based on the duration tag. So it's not actually reading the MP3 and checking the duration. It's sort of making, you know, we have to assume that Tim typed them in properly, basically. So, uh, you know, can't trust that guy. Mm-hmm. All right. So those are some numbers. Uh, you were going to get mushy and talk about thoughts about the podcast. Yeah, no, I was just going to ask you guys, what do, what do you think about doing this for three years? Oh, look at that. No, like, hmm? thoughts? It's Anybody? been great. Bueller? I mean, it's been fun sort of looking back and seeing like all the changes the show has gone through and a lot of the conversations we've had. And, you know, I think it's fair to say the folks I'm on the show with, you know, we're all friends. We, we chat outside of the show. We don't just come together, you know, between the hours of X and Y to, to record this every week. We also stay in touch and, and talk about all sorts of random stuff that could be its own show if we ever decided to put that on the air. So it's been fun. That's true. How and many how many other shows have we brainstormed, the do you listeners? think? Oh, gosh, there's a, there's a whole bunch. There, we could do one that's all about, you know, hardware stuff. We, if you wanted to find out more about doping and not the drug kind, the kind that goes with uh, silicon 
manufacturing. <laughs> do that. We could do um, all doping like all the time. <laughs> <laughs> just the straight dope. Um, yeah. Oh, there's a good name. I like that. Just, let's right. Get the domain. Right. I've, uh, that's been so. Like that's been taken though, right? Or... Isn't it that uh, the guy who answers questions? People write in. Isn't it the straight dope in newspapers? Oh, that's yeah. That's probably true. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Preemptive season this is being sent yeah. as we speak. <laughs> yeah, we were we were at one point going to have a show called the After Show, which was just going to be made up of all of our after show conversations, right? But that would have been way longer than the actual episodes. That's true. But there's the Just the Code podcast. There's the Algorithms podcast that we've talked about. I think we're, we're full of ideas. <laughs> but the problem is like, you know, who's actually going to record and edit and do all the, all you know, right, all the work yeah. that Tim does. Um, I thought Tim was going to do all that work. That's what I thought too. He was yeah. going to quit his job and be our uh, full-time podcast producer. But we were going to create a syndicate too and have like, uh, have like you know, Tammy and, and uh, our yeah. stuff under, under one umbrella. We were going to have a podcast network and have you know, yeah bring roundabout under there and um, build a media yeah. empire it's yeah. true so lots of plans yeah. lots of plans well we may still have that we don't know that's true. we don't know that's true. Tammy's not threatening to throat punch me so I guess I wasn't out of line when I said that <laughs> and in some sense it's, it's, we're coming full circle actually because 360i dev no pun about 360 intended there uh, 360i dev is coming up in a, in a week or two and that's where a lot of this got started right right yeah, uh, yeah. Tim you, you can talk about that more than I can yeah well I, I actually the episode that Greg was just talking about, I do actually talk about the fact that I met you in San Francisco in 2011, um, and then I met uh, Jaime the year, the next year in um, down in, in what well, was in Littleton, uh, Colorado, back then, right? So yeah, and that was what the genesis for the podcast was. I just sort of asked the three the three of you guys, you know, if you'd want to be doing this, and then Greg and Tommy kind of came along and f- helped us out when we were short a, a host or two, right? So yeah, yeah it was a good time. I, I was looking up my first episode. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. the uh, mm-hmm. we we're talking about the watch. I think. I think I had just done the watch tutorials or something. I don't remember, but it was around that time. So yeah, it was fun. Totally unprepared, of course. You just said, "Hey, do you want to be on the show? We're starting in ten minutes or something like that." And then uh, I think I got, <laughs> I got some feedback saying, "Oh, you didn't talk enough." And I'm like, "I didn't have any notice. I don't know what to do." I was like, "I don't know what to say." So really, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. So that was fun. your very first podcast. Yes, yeah. so it was good. It was good. I enjoyed it. I think I got invited to this show because somebody lost a bet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how that went. Uh-huh. It's been fun though. I think maybe. I don't know. You guys maybe have more stories to tell, but um, I feel like whenever I run into a friend of the show out there randomly, which seems to happen every once in a while, it's like kind of kind of exciting. But does that happen to you guys a lot, or is it just I uh, I get out more? Um, I run into people on on Twitter, right? Because like, people tell me they like the show or whatever on Twitter. But um, yeah, I run into people occasionally. Like you know, usually it's things like when you go to RWDevCon, you're you're bound to meet somebody or or at a, another podcast, but um, or another conference. I mean. But uh, yeah, it happens uh, odd time. Yeah, okay. I don't think I don't think any of us have ever been together and been notif- uh, noticed, right? So that's true. I well, I think I told you uh, maybe privately, Tim. I forget, or maybe I told the group, but somebody recognized my voice because I was at a meetup. And um, oh, really? Yeah, I, I got a selfie with the guy. I was because I was in New York City and I was at the uh, you know one of the iOS meetups there. And then I was sitting there and I was um, there, I was with a friend of mine. We were just talking, and then afterwards, this guy came up to me and he said, "Hey, you know, you're Greg, right?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, oh, you know, I was sitting like two seats away and you were talking and he's like, I recognize that voice. But then he's like, wait a minute, what would he be doing in New York? Because, you know, he's like, I know you live in San Francisco, but then right. he kind of recognized me and he's like, no, you look like your picture. So he came and said hello. And but yeah, he recognized my voice <laughs> just sitting a couple seats away. So that was kind of amazing. Um, and then maybe I think I haven't said this, but I was at WWDC this year. And of course, you know, the line was snaking all around the building. And then uh, I was walking to try to find the back of the line. So I was walking down whatever the street is in front of I forgot the name of the street um, where the conference center is actually
actually on, like its official address. So I was walking down and then this guy kind of stuck his head. He was in line. And he was like, hi, hey. He's like, oh, you know, I really, uh, I really love your show or something like that. And he stuck his hand out. Oh, really? And I shook his hand. I said, oh, thank you. But there was like a crowd of people try- also trying to find the back of the line. Um, so I just had to keep walking and I didn't get to, uh, I didn't get to talk to the gentleman anymore. So I was like, um, you know, I just said, thank you. And I walked off and I was like, what, what was he talking about? I was like, I don't have a show. I was like, I don't know what he was talking about. So, um, but then I was like, maybe he was talking about this podcast or maybe he um, mm. misrecognized me. So if you are that gentleman who stuck your head hand out in line at WWDC while you were in line, you know, at 7.30 in the morning, then uh, please write into the show and uh, let me know that you weren't crazy and that uh, you really did mean me. And if right. nobody writes in, then we'll know that it was mistaken identity. So It was all a dream. Maybe. It was early in the morning and it was San Jose, so who knows. But um, so yeah, I've had yeah. some experiences yeah. like that where people will uh, recognize my voice or recognize me in person, but mention the podcast, which is always nice. Nice. All right. All right. So, hey, I guess that's it for the week. Um, Jaime, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? I'm on Twitter as at dev with a hair. And Mark? I'm at markr at smapsoft.com or just at smapsoft. And Greg, if people want to find you on the interwebs? They should also look on Twitter. I am Greg Heo. And Tammy, last but not least. I'm also on Twitter at paradox927. Alrighty. And as I said, at the top of the show, I am Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, and I am on Twitter. That's the best way to get a hold of me. And I guess until next week, we'll say bye-bye. 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 To another three years. Three more years. Three more years. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find out the details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time. kind of wondering at what point we end up filling up a blu-ray disc because <laughs> you know greg's quite right like we had that earlier piece where each episode was was like a hundred some megs or something and now they're well under 50 so well you can do a dual layer take- blu-ray and those are like 90 gigs aren't they so i think you're i think you're still good oh really so it's not like 25 i see my my knowledge yeah. is out of date as to what maybe it was is. 25 and a dual layer is 50 but i thought they had like tri-layer i don't know blue blu-ray is kind of going out anyway like physical media is kind of going out the door, isn't it? Maybe it was 50 gigs that I remember. I, I'm not sure. What's that, on Blu-ray? Yeah, I'll look it up. What's the maximum capacity mm. of Blu-ray? I thought it was 9 or 13. Or yeah. I'm thinking of high-res DVD, uh, double-sided DVD. Um, Greg, I have updated the feed, by the way. Oh, that was fast. We're talking, I fixed, yeah. uh, here we go. 25, yeah, it's 25, gigs, Come on. 25 gigs per layer on Blu-ray. So dual layer is 50. They have triple layer for 100, and they have quadruple layer, which supports 128. So um, wow. we could do quadruple layer and still
still, uh, yeah, there's lots of hours left to record in the future if you want to fill a Blu-ray. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Man, if only we had like some interns or something, then we could do all those other shows where it's just like, all right, <laughs> let's record this stuff. You're, you know, you're a, a communications major. You're an audio engineer. Great. Fantastic. We could use you both to help run this whole uh, empire for us. Mm-hmm. I need to well, re-download the feed. Think, if- huh? You updated the, Can I re-download it right now yeah. and it'll be updated? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, just, I just published it. Oh, there we go. So it's 737,000 seconds, 12,000 minutes, 204.9 hours. So you have cracked 200 hours. So uh, the 200. Woo. There we go. More, than, right, just, right. more than just code. Podcast regrets the error <laughs> due to Tim's bad HTML or bad XML. So I've pasted in the correct numbers here. Yeah, no, it had to do with uh, getting it onto Fireside. Fire what were those extra numbers you had in there? Uh, it was just uh, weird. lots of decimal places. Uh, we don't need that many. Oh, decimal places. Right, right. You don't need that much level of accuracy. Mm, can't be trusted. You know, it's math. Can't be trusted. Everything got quiet before WWDC. We had oh, I see, yeah, rumors yeah. and innuendo, but no actual content. Yeah, summertime. I mean, the WWDC is a good time because we'll we'll have stuff to talk about for a while. You know, as we start going through videos and sessions, and we can make it the Tim Sink shows. I'm sure that'll boost the ratings. And then we'll get and another your boost. Mama's good <laughs> then we'll get another boost in the fall Gosh, when all these baby. devices start Don't coming out. You cry. Aren't I the Sorry. one that usually shows up drunk? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Some of the feedback we got from our fans of the show. And for those of you who didn't send us anything, you're not going to have as much fun as the people who did. Hi, this is Aaron Douglas, and I work on the WordPress for iOS app. The iPhone changed my entire career going from a faceless enterprise Java engineer to working on software that integrates into people's daily lives. Um, knowing that your app is something that a person uses like first thing in the morning and the last thing they use at night is really awesome. I like knowing that I've actually made a real difference in uh, real people's lives uh, by the efforts in me typing code into a keyboard. Hey, it's George Strombolopoulos here, and uh, here's what the iPhone has meant to me. Uh, never mind texting and calling, and who does that anyway? The iPhone is really a smaller, lovelier, prettier version of the iPod, and the iPod is the single most important invention in my musical life. So the fact that I can take my music with me everywhere I want to go, that is that, that means more to me than anything. What's the iPhone meant to me? It's meant that I've got hundreds of pictures of my kids I'd never have taken otherwise. It's meant that my kids have seen their grandparents every week, despite the fact we live hundreds of miles away. It's made me want to build things that could run on it. It's allowed me to learn how to build things that run on it. It's connected me with a worldwide community of people that want to do the same. It's given me an interesting and fulfilling career. And it's made me keep my change in the other pocket. You're still there? All right. Wait, hold on, Tim. Did did Mark dropped off the call? Uh, yeah, it looks like. Oh, it. I see. I heard the the dropping off, which I thought was me, but I see you mm-hmm. and Carol. I heard a ping some from somewhere. Uh, was that you? Oh, he's pinging. Somebody's pinging. Can you hear me? Chat here. Can you hear me? Maybe he turned on Tunnel Bear. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking too. <laughs> it's like, oh, let me try it out. Boom! There goes Skype. <laughs> uh. Oh, you back? Well, you shouldn't have oh, here, 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 because now I have an incoming one. <laughs> okay. As long as we can hear, hear you long enough to say goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or 
whatever. Mark, what, what ended up happening there? Uh, so, so I installed Tunnel Bear just to try it out. Uh, we knew it. <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as I connected, I lost. Uh, I lost you guys. Yeah, Although Skype I was, was still happy. Skype thought I was still connected, but I just couldn't hear you guys. It was very strange. Yeah. Well, you you get a different IP address and a different connection to the outside world, right? Oh yeah, I guess so. When you use VPN, so. yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, well, live, now live off. Yeah, live follow up to that, you know, Tunnel Bear segment is uh pro tip if you are currently in a Skype call, don't use Tunnel Bear until after oh, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> You've right. gotten off the call uh, or or reconnect or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even if you are talking to potential subversives up in Canada or somewhere that's in true. Some that's country. True. Well, I might be in the middle of Quebec. You don't know. You don't know. Mm, true. So. Pause the show at this point. Sure. Do, 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 do. Here he goes singing again. Yeah, yeah. What What are you doing, Tim, exactly? I'm just res- responding to a text message from a client. Yeah. <sighs> I know, I know. You're recording a podcast, I know, man. I just told him I'm recording a podcast. <laughs> well, make him wait. We're only going to be like 10 more minutes. <laughs> yeah, otherwise she's going she's gonna to keep dinging me and it's going to drive me crazy, so. Uh, I was going to test out the, you know, did Tim actually configure handoff for continuity so that it doesn't ding him everywhere? You no, know, my, my uh, yeah, that's, uh, the messages for some reason dings on my, on my, um, mm-hmm. oh, shit, I just sent the wrong person. See, see what happens? Wait, did you send it to the wrong person? Well, if you'd had WordBoard, (laughs) you could have just chosen that person's name and you wouldn't have auto-completed to the wrong one. Oh my god, my face. (laughs) Your face? Can we do my pick now? (laughs) Sure, you have got a pick there, Aaron? I do. It's like you don't even read the document anymore. Well, it's it's a live document. I'm I'm recording a podcast right now. You know, it's funny Shop that you, you mentioned this because my brother just yesterday, as a matter of fact, posted on Facebook the following question, Cylons or Stormtroopers? So, mm-hmm. yeah, of course. For I'm, me, it's Stormtroopers. Is it really? I, see, I told him, I, thought, I said, oh, yeah. if you have to ask, you're already dead. But uh, really, Stormtroopers. <laughs> well, which Cylons, though? Are you talking about the first generation or the, or the second generation? Uh, he was not specific. Around. He just said. It's tricky. Yeah. It's kind of like fast walkers or slow walkers. Zombies, and, right? And can they float? <laughs> oh, oh, Tim! Oh my gosh! I actually got. Oh, you'd be so proud of me! I watched. No. Yes, I watched two, three, maybe episodes of the second season of Fear the Walking Dead. Oh yeah, and you saw them floating in the water, right? I did, and and my husband was so funny because I'm screaming at the television. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, no, Tim! Oh my gosh! He's oh, wait till he finds out that I watch it, and I'm. I'm like yelling and I'm like I'm this is my this is my quiet yelling voice but I was not quiet when I was doing this in real life and it was so funny my husband's like what are you going on about I said Tim's gonna be so happy I finally watched this we can actually have an intelligent conversation about whether or not zombies can flow and he just looked at me he's like okay then it's one of these it's one of these old you know it used to be a movie theater way back when that's converted over to a concert yeah yeah event. yeah yeah so i saw buckethead there we were talking about this last week i don't know Great who that show. is i'd have to i'd have to google it it's it's he's he's out there he's different um yeah it's uh he's a guitarist that oh he actually a, has a bucket on his head yeah 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 he's he's a phenomenal i mean i mean phenomenal guitarist i mean he's possibly the you know the one of the the top five guitarists ever uh just in terms of 
skill. I mean, he's just unbelievably skilled, but he's insane. Does he wear a mask? <laughs> yeah, he wears a mask. He wears a mask, okay. And, and the bucket used to be, he, he actually got a new bucket for this tour. Uh, it used to be just a, a Kentucky Fried Chicken bucket yes. that he'd wear. Yes. Uh, now he just got a nice, plain, minimalist white bucket that he's wearing. Oh, okay, but, um, okay. With the lighting, I thought it was a pink bucket is what it looks like, but maybe it's the... It's, that's just the lighting. It's the yeah, stage lighting, it okay. Was, it was, yeah, it was just a white. And, and he's he plays sort of, I mean, it's sort of a mix of metal the wikipedia page says it spans diverse areas such as progressive metal funk blues jazz bluegrass ambient and avant-garde yeah it's exactly right yeah it's it's just everything he can play anything and he does you know he plays anything and everything it's just it's just amazing um so i recommend it if you ever if he ever comes actually i think he's playing is he on on spotify i'll go look him up i'm sure he is okay (laughs) look it up he's he has but, uh, and he was also saying that there's an argument about whether people call things gravy or sauce. Oh, well, that is huge. Now, part of my family is Italian. Right. The other part of my family is Irish. Right. Which makes for interesting dinners, incidentally. <laughs> but half of the family calls gravy the brown stuff, right? The stuff you put on yeah. turkey. Yeah. The other half of the family calls gravy the red stuff that you put on your spaghetti. Oh, I get it. Okay, right. Huh. Yeah. Now, the Italian side calls that red stuff sauce. And it depends, again, who you talk to in in that side of the family, because it's either sauce or sauce, right? (laughs) (laughs) Still pretty close, though. I can still hear the origin of that word as you anglicize it. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, and then there's the whole Jersey thing, right? You know, like it, it actually, when I say daughter, sometimes the Jersey in me actually really comes out and I'd be like daughter, you know, <laughs> it, but it's so funny. Like how many different types of it, how, how differently a word can sound from from one person to the next. And yet mm-hmm. we all kind of know what we're saying. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, those two, those two Agile Bettys we just spoke to, did you not hear all the Wisconsin in their voices? No, see, I don't really hear accents too much. Yeah, see, I, I noticed it because, you know, Aaron Douglas, our buddy from um, uh, Rayburn Licht as well, uh, Astrobodies on Twitter, he was telling me that how, and he was sort of demonstrating to me how, in an exaggerated way, how the, the Wisconsin sounds, because uh, I think he's in Madison maybe, right? Um, but yeah, no, I really noticed it. Yes, this this evening when we were talking to them, and and uh, I could hear you know A's and E's coming out slightly different from them. See, I only notice little things, and probably not even the little things, like the little things, but the people, the the things that people always mention, right? So yeah. like the Canadians, they always say A and sorry, <laughs> right. you know, the the people from Jersey will always say things like daughter, and then there's the whole sauce and the gravy, right? And then there's yeah. people in the south we say y'all and things like that so i mean those are the things that i hear but the typical normal conversations between people i just don't hear the different accents to me everyone sounds the same but see i would never know jaime for instance i would never know that you're from texas like how old were you you were you were an adult when I you was, left Texas, uh, right? Yeah, what, 22, 23 when I left Texas? Yeah, because you don't... See, to me, I would think a Texan has that sort of, you know, oil oil country drawl, right, kind of thing. So Texas is enormous. Don't forget that, right? So that <laughs> that Lyndon B. Johnson, uh, George W. Bush sound comes from the eastern and central parts of uh, Texas. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. from the west, so we're right. closer to... Um, definitely, we're in the southwest, so like New Mexico, Arizona kind of uh, speech yeah. patterns. Yeah, you're I would El Paso, love to right? talk to a linguist one day. 
mm-hmm. and just learn about language and where it came from and where it might be going. And gosh, it was a- so it's, it would be so incredible. Bye for now, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Everybody say goodbye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> goodbye. Bye and dog. Good timing. <laughs> Bye, Mac. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.